1: Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic conversation show. John Suntress here. Interesting conversation today. I reach back in my own uh, radio history and uh, have a conversation with my buddy, Mike North. Mike and I uh, worked together at uh, the SCORE radio station for several years, nine years. uh, That's the time I was at the SCORE. Mike went on for another eight years, then uh, had a very successful run at uh, Fox Sports Radio. And uh, very recently... Uh, has joined the podcasting ranks. So this is a good opportunity to talk about uh, where radio is. And uh, The Score is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year here in Chicago. And uh, we kind of talk about the origins of uh, sports talk radio, modern sports talk radio, because The Score is one of the first stations in the country to go all sports back in 1992. And uh, Mike was uh, one of the very first hosts. And I uh, started producing about four months in. And uh, we just talk about the origins of uh, of Sports Talk Radio. This year, Mike has joined the podcasting ranks with his own podcast. It's called Sticks and Stones, and it's at uh, podcastarena.com slash Mike North. Or you can find it at iTunes and all the other uh, podcasting platforms. But uh, Mike does a show it's very sports-centric, and it's a lot of fun. Of course, Mike understands that uh, this is kind of a nerd culture show. So I get Mike's thoughts on uh, a few uh, nerd culture uh, subjects, from uh, Marvel westerns to uh, his thoughts on Batman versus Superman. That seems to be kind of the uh, the, the easy touchstone uh, that movie, and certainly because it's been on uh, HBO's, you know, for the last two months, nonstop, gives us the opportunity to talk about that. But Mike is also a, a huge uh, old time movie buff, so you get a little scene missing action if uh, you're an old word balloon fan. And uh, I took full advantage of the fact that uh, Mike would have interesting observations. And then, um, you know, again, because of uh, Chicago Sports Radio, Mike and I had an opportunity to uh, meet a lot of celebrities. And we reminisce of uh, some of the good times we had with uh, people like Don Rickles and uh, Mike with Frank Sinatra and uh, a few other big celebrities as well. So uh, it's uh, all true stories and a very interesting conversation. It uh, honestly has a little Bendis tapes in it. But uh, Mike's an old-school guy, and it's fun to uh, have this conversation. Uh, Mike North and uh, the history of Chicago Sports Radio, and a little of my own personal history, on today's Word Balloon. It's brought to you by InStockTrades at InStockTrades.com. Amazing deals are happening now at InStockTrades. Big ticket items, these are the uh, giant uh, books, are on sale for up to 50% at uh, InStockTrades.com. Things like Absolute Why the Last Man Hardcover volume 2 uh, is just $62.50. You can get uh, other things like uh, the uh, great Golden Age collections uh, like uh, Forbidden Worlds, Hardcover volume 7, uh, great stories from uh, the United States and even the UK from the Golden Age of Comics. Uh, 45% off, $26.39. Check out that list and I think you're going to find something. Greg Rucka Batman product is now available at InStockTrades.com. Some great runs are finally making their way back. Uh, a great story, Batman Death and the Maidens, featuring Raza al and a secret daughter that we never knew about that's become a prominent character in uh, Arrow as well. The origins of that story with uh, Greg Rucka and Klaus Janssen, 42% off, $17.39. You can also get Checkmate, and I'm really glad that uh, Checkmate is finally coming out. This is uh, DC's espionage arm of the DC Universe, and uh, great stories there, uh, starting with Volume 1 at 42% off, $14.49. You can get Thief of Thieves, Sean Martinborough, and uh, Andy Diggle doing a great job on the, that wonderful heist book and uh, from Image that uh, was created by Robert Kirkman, 42% off for Volume 6. This is all from InStockTrades.com. Check out the deals for yourself. They're waiting for you now. InStockTrades.com. All right, as we get into our conversation with Mike North, uh, something happened with, you know, every now and then, uh, something happens with uh, Skype, and it gets weird. Near the midway point of this conversation, uh, things got in the words of Dr. Who, timey-wimey. And I'm not really sure exactly what happened, but we would start to overlap in our conversation. And this just wasn't because it's audio and it's a phone conversation and we both are anxious to talk that we would kind of cut each other off. It literally was to the point where um, our words were blurring over each other and uh, we had to uh, worry about uh, you know it, it not making sense to, to play it back. So uh, we, I've got about uh, about an hour of my conversation with Mike. Still very funny. A lot of fun. Uh, good nostalgia time for the two of us. I hope you enjoy it, too. Here's Mike North on Word Balloon. All right. After many technical difficulties, I'm very happy to welcome my friend. We go back a long, long time. It is hard to believe how many years we have worked together in radio and television. And now, finally, I have Mike North on my Word Balloon podcast. Welcome, my friend. All
0: you had to do is ask. I'm right here for you, Shake. What's going on, handsome? How you been? I've been great. Everything's been good doing uh doing the things I like to do, being able to uh you know, keep creating like you like to do. Uh we like things that a lot of people don't like. Uh but the niche that we have is great this is true. and I've had a a, a great niche so like, you know, what when you when you're successful then you can call your own chats, and I've been fortunate enough to be able to do that.
1: I hear you, man. No, you know, I'm I'm glad you've joined me in the in the podcast world. You've uh, you've been podcasting for a little yep. bit over a month, and uh, congratulations, welcome, and I and, yeah. and you've yeah. taken your very large media audience and brought them online with you because you've been, you've been kicking ass at uh, at Fox and uh, many many years at the Score.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I have had a good run. I was at the Score for seventeen. I was at Fox for six. And then they just walked up to me and Andy Furman, the people at Fox, and said, you know, we're going to go in a different direction. We're going to shuffle the deck. Well, we were the only two guys that were shuffled. We were doing tremendously as a show. We had a tremendous following. So then uh, after they just dropped that little bomb on us, uh, you you know, about three months ago, four months ago, I decided to take a step back, examine the industry, see where it's going. I see where it's going here in Chicago and in other places, and I'm not liking it. You have TV people now being involved in a lot of areas of radio, uh, you know, uh, where they're merging, and now they're saying, you know, uh, we would rather hear our personalities on your airwaves than, than than the ones that are actually trained to do radio. So I had, you had told me about podcasting way back when, and then David Gow, who's uh, uh, one of the – founders why well, he is the guy at gal media and mm-hmm. jeff schwartz and other people said why don't you try this podcasting thing and uh i was working as a consultant with them at the time anyway so i said okay i'll try it and i love it i love it it's uh, it's about 35 to 40 minutes a day Shake, and it, and I call him, I call him shaky folks, so I mean, you know, that's just the way. Sorry, I know he's known as John, Word Balloon, Suntress uh, and everything else, but I gave, I think I gave him the name Shakey, and if I didn't, I should have. Um, but he's just great. And then and what happened, Buzz, is a lot of our radio people now caught on to the podcast. Yes. And I said, what am I doing here? A lot of podcasts split the money 50-50 with you. I told Mr. Gow, and he said, fine. Since I'm doing some work for you anyway, you know what? Why don't you keep all the profits on this? Since it's so exuberant, since this podcasting is so exuberant with money. You keep it and I'll go out and get sponsors. So I I went out and got local sponsors who I've been with for twenty, twenty five years. They backed me from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And now I'm trying to change the podcast arena. If you have a name, if you have two hundred five thousand followers like I do on Twitter, then you can I mean I have more followers that's the paper I work for in Chicago. Yeah, the Daily Herald
1: subscribers. Yeah, I'll say it. The Daily yeah. Herald. All right. Yeah, man. That's uh, that's very yeah. impressive. And yes, you do. You have a large social media presence, which does make it easier to uh, get a, a successful podcast. And and good for you, man, in terms of getting the local advertising. Well, you know
0: what, Jake? If somebody wants to, if somebody wants to advertise, you can go through a radio station and And you might get a show that doesn't have as many followers or listeners as I do right somebody's going to see it on my on my website or on my or on my Twitter handle throughout the day because you can you can put it out as you know more than two, three times if you want all day oh long consistently uh, yeah. so your sponsors are getting now instead of the one time a day. They're getting three times a day. They're getting four mentions a day if you keep putting it out. And that just lends to a more, I guess, user-friendly, I guess, marketing-friendly type environment. And, you know, you know how it is. You call a radio station. You pay out the ass. And then you know what? Something happens with your commercial. You can't find a salesman for four days.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean. No, and you're right. And it's lost in a shuffle of a bunch of other uh, advertisers for five to seven minutes at a time. And you get lost in the shuffle, people are dial twisting and stuff. The difference is obviously with a podcast. they've downloaded the show or they're listening to it uh streaming because they want to hear you and the likelihood well, I'll is give you you know, you're, they're gonna they're gonna put it on pause if they got to get out of they're listening to it in the car or they've got to stop for a second they'll put it on pause and come back to you.
0: Exactly. Here's another thing that they can do. You can with podcasts, and you can skip ahead if you don't, if you want to. But see, I do my commercials the way I always did my commercials. Even when I was breaking time, Vienna Beef. I mean, look at. I just tell the people. I got two more people getting to jump in. I said, "Let me ask you. You know what my selling point is? I got Napleton Auto Group. I got Vienna Beef, and I got Tony's Italian Deli. I got a small, and then a huge, and then a real huge." Companies, yes. okay. I'm on yeah. Pod Tony's Deli. I got Napleton Auto Group. They got 130 some some uh, uh, car lots all over the country. And then I got Vienna Beef, which is the standard beer in Chicago. And I tell them advertisers, this: you think those people are stupid? You think those people are just spending money on me just because they they want to they want to uh, you know help back me on this? That's partly true, but also they know they're getting a tremendous deal. And they're reaching people instantly, just like our president did, and just like our president won an election with well, quarter, the same way.
1: Well, you and you've got you, close to you know over two, like you said, over two hundred thousand followers. That's a captive audience, man, and that's plenty. That's plenty of people to do business with, uh, whether oh. you're selling hot dogs, Italian beefs, or, or cars. I, I,
0: I wish I would have had Twitter when I had my hot dog stands. For people that don't know me and my wife, had, we're in the hot dog business 16, 17 years. We had three places, but it was back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I had to write letters to get the to USA Today to come out, to get Rolling Stone Magazine to come out, to get the Sun Times to come out. If I had Twitter now, if, I mean, if I had my stands now, well, first of all, I'd be in my 20s. Uh, but also, also, I can't imagine if BBs, one of our most successful stands, one of the top stands is voted by USA Today Rolling Stone back in the day as one of the best stands in the country, it had Twitter. I can't even imagine sure. if we had Facebook how big we would have been. Just like I can't imagine the radio station, the score you and I worked at, if we had social media in the 90s. We would have all been trillionaires, all of us,
1: Oh, I understand. Period. No, I hear you, man. Well, and again, and I want to get to that because I kind of want to talk about the beginnings of Chicago Sports Radio because, and really what you say about social media, I think is true. First of all, BB's Hot Dogs, if it existed today, not only with social media, but I'm sure you would have been on the Food Network with that joint because mm-hmm. you guys had great food and uh, I mean you you as you say you proved yourself with the media that you had at the time but let's let's get back to uh, sports radio because mm-hmm. I really think that and and granted sports has always had its tribes of fans you know cup fans packer fans whatever but that said I really think that the way we did sports radio starting with the score and stuff really was a, a forebearer of of today's social media, instead of message boards and things, people would call in. I and mean, there were sports call-in shows in the past, but this was, you know, nonstop all day. And we were a daytime station, and as you know, too, at the end of the day, the lights were still flashing. People wanted to talk.
0: Yeah. You know, here's the thing, the phenomenon that was WSCR. And and if I didn't have the hot dogs, Dan, I don't even know if there is a WSCR, because Dan Lee
1: and
0: that. some of the people from the radio station used to come in. And what would happen is I'd always tell them, you know, when they were getting ready to do something, here's what you should do. Here's what I would do. I, we always used to have fun. And Harvey Wells came in one day and Seth Mason and Dan Lee, and they said they were thinking of starting a cool jazz or cool country station. And I said, if you do that, you're nuts. You should start a sports station.
1: This is 1992 a, or 1991. 1992.
0: Really, 91? Yeah, it was because, really 91, really. It yeah. was about uh, August of 91. And I begged them. I went out into a driving rainstorm during lunch and and argued with them all the way out the door that if you start a country station or a cool country or a jazz station, you'll just, you know, okay, you'll combo it with XRT Big. What would he do? I said, if you start a sports station, you'll be one of 12 to 20 that are only around in this country right now. Denver had one. WFAN had one. Kansas uh, Kansas City had one. Uh, uh, San Diego had one but there weren't a whole lot of them. Now there's like five, six, seven hundred of them. Uh, And really what happened was that they decided to, on my recommendation, Danny Lee tells me this to this day, to try it. Well, what ended up happening was this phenomenon caught the score. It had three shows during the day, no nighttime signal. Like John said, the lights were booming even after we go off the air because we only had a daytime only signal. And what happened was a phenomenon. There were Cub fans, Sox fans, Bulls fans, Bears fans, Blackhawk fans. But what really was the nightmare for the teams was there were score fans. There were fans of the station that then, you know, also interspersed with their fan bases of the Cubs, the Sox. And they all tuned in to us to hear our opinions, to argue, to go back and forth. And it was the advent of call in radio. And we were the first sports station to really do it from morning till night. You know, Mark Chernoff's a friend of mine from WFAN, and he's the, he's the guy that's really put that station on the map. Mm-hmm. But they had IMAS in the morning, so they didn't have sports in the morning. So whenever, you know, I tell him the first all-sports big-time station was really WSCR because the fan did not have the faith to start a morning off, like we did with Tom Shearer. they started with Don Imus, who was strongest strong at the time I mean basically was one of the top top guys going at the time, oh yeah, so they covered their asses we had WXRT to cover ours, which was the station right next our sister door, station.
1: yeah our sister station that's the right that's totally true now and I do want to point out because I do I, I love your origin story before the score, you were doing a football handicap show on right. on a uh, on a brokered station. And those right. are the those are the stations in the and frankly I really don't know if these stations uh, have these kind of followings in the smaller communities, but in big cities and stuff, you were on like a, this foreign language broker station where it's the Ukraine hour and then it's the Cuban right. hour, and then you come on to an hour of sports. I
0: had the uh, what I would do is I I get to do uh, WSBc twelve forty, which at the time was across the street from WXRT and it was powered owned by Dan Lee. Right, Roy Bellavia ran it and uh, I told him I, I had an idea that I wanted to do an NFL handicap show, which, by the way, now we're here in Brent Musburger may do a gambling show or something like that no from, the south, from the South Point in Las Vegas. That's the rumor we're getting. They may start a gambling network. Well, I was the first guy to do a gambling show on radio back in 1989, and what I did was I sold uh, – advertising time to people that came in my stands. I had factories around me. I had uh, uh, food places around me. I had uh, uh, a roofing place called Lindholm Roofing, who I still do business with. Vienna Beef bought uh, spots. Uh, uh, GE, there was a GE plant down the street. They bought spots. Amco. Uh, I sold 50 bucks for, this is 1989, Fifty bucks for thirty seconds, a hundred bucks for a minute. I hired this guy named Tom Couch, who we know very well, who was my first producer. They were supposed to throw a producer in. I said, I want no. I had to have commercials done the right way. I want it to sound like a real station. And then I listed it in the Sun Times with a guy named Dan Cahill, and then I got a little following. So when they they told me basically, if you want to be in radio you got to do it yourself because you don't have the education and you're a little bit too old to jump in now. I was in my 30s at the time, my mid-30s. And I did it on a dare. Norm Weiner to this day tells me he can't believe what I did.
1: (laughs) The program director of WXRT. Program
0: director of WXRT. Because I was mad, they wouldn't have me sit in for a thing called athletes' feet. So he says, "Well, nobody knows you." I go, "Well, how do I get somebody to know me unless you put me on?" He <laughs> goes, "We're not going to put you on unless you have some back, unless you have some tape and everything else." So I did this show and I paid three hundred bucks an hour back in nineteen eighty-eight, eighty-nine. A lot of money—three hundred bucks an hour—and and I worked one hour and I and basically I turned that into a thousand a week with all this advertising I sold. So I was going to keep doing that until the sports station started. Then they hired me. And then the rest is history. The whole thing went bonkers. I mean, my life just completely
1: changed how quickly? Forever. How quickly did you and, and your partner, Dan Jiggins, uh a former CBS network uh, sports guy, big anchor in the, mm-hmm. in the 80s, did a lot mm-hmm. of big events and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Well, first of all, putting you guys together, how did that yeah. work out? That wasn't the original plan, was it? No,
0: I had to show, well, here was the original plan. The original plan, from what I understand it to be, First of all, you know, uh, Bruce Wolf was supposed to be the guy that was going to be sitting in. Bruce Wolf was still a local broadcaster here in Chicago. was supposed to be the guy that was supposed to be sit- to do it with Dan Jiggins. He got cold feet or something. He changed his mind. He was doing TV. But I don't think he ever had a lot of faith in the radio station at the time and where it was going. He heard it was a daytime. A lot of guys turned us down.
1: Uh, right, because, again, this is Chicago, number three market in right. the country. Right. And, and it's a daytime only station, literally sun up to sundown. So not even six PM, you know, no. in the in the dead of winter, uh four four fifteen in the afternoon. All right, good night we got to go now right. because the sun's going down. And with all
0: the other stations, 30 other stations are still rolling. 40 other stations are rolling. <laughs> and Dan McNeil's got to say goodbye at 4.30 because <laughs> so, the sun went down. So I mean, yeah. where are we at? A- the 1860s? I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, literally. the sun's come down. I thought a posse was coming into town to pull us out of the building. Well, um,
1: yeah, these were but small, then, this was a small station. I mean, just in terms of its wattage. It was such a right. small station surrounded by 24-hour stations, established networks and, and local affiliates. And big radio stars up and down the dial,
0: right. So what happened was they got Tom Scher, who Tommy was an anchor for Channel Five. He was our most, most prominent guy, to be honest with you. Yep. NBC and I think they yep. they wanted to do they wanted to center it around him, which I can't blame them at the time. That's probably it was a good strategy. Uh, then they hired uh, Wolf. Decided he didn't want to do it. They told me they were going to give me a tryout. They brought Jigs in to sit in on my show, the NFL Handicap Show, and I guess we did okay. They saw there was some possibility, but we were going to be... But they, they insisted to stay, Seth Mason and Dan Lee, that they they wanted middays. Middays had to be strong because it was the only full day part, and uh, that wasn't going to be affected by the time. So they put me and Jigs together. They put the uh, African-American Harvard graduate and the street kid high school dropout, the white boy, and they put us together, and usually... You know, and it, and it clicked. It clicked really, really quick. And then in the afternoon, we had just tremendous cachet with Terry Bores, Dan McNeil, and Brian Hanley. They rotated. So we were the only show that was full-time, so we had a little bit of advantage on everybody. But I'll tell you what, it all worked. The teams were put together. It was genius by Dan Lee and Seth Mason, Harvey Wells, and all the people that do it. Jeff Schwartz was a marketing genius. We had girls at remotes that were hotter than hot from, from modeling agencies called scorekeepers. They did everything right, but they only had to spend a limited amount of money because they had WXRT. To give everybody an example, back in 1992, they sold WSCR spots to score for 12 bucks. By the end of the first year, WSCR was selling their spots for 200 bucks. Yep, a shot. We made it in the black our first year. And they were basically just using us as a combo with the, for WXRT. Right, what ended added, up happening?
1: Added bonus. You know, you buy spots on XRT with right. a few on the score.
0: But what happened was XRT ended up being the added bonus by the end of the year. <laughs> I mean, really, stop and think about it. And I can understand there were some frayed feelings at WXRT because we hit everything by storm. Even friends of mine, I could just tell, they couldn't believe what was happening. They've been doing it for 15, 20, 25 years, busting their tail. And all of a sudden, a bunch of type A morons come walking <laughs> in on the other side. And then, and, you know, the next thing you know... Uh, we're, we're one of the top five stations in the city by far. I don't care what anybody says at that time. I knew the buzz on the street. I was there every day. It's true. We were one of the top five <laughs> cities. We equaled the loop as far as as as, as buzz and, and, and as far as, as as money and everything else. And they were a big-time station 24 hours back in the, in the 80s.
1: Well, that's the thing. It was, you know, the cool music station suddenly had to deal with the frat house suddenly breaking in. And, right. And also the interesting thing was – like you said, the score built this community that loved having the opportunity to sit and listen all day yes. long and call in. And it really was, again, what we see now with social media and cool podcasts, cool websites, cool streaming shows. I have
0: five scrapbooks at home, just of stuff that we used to have to do. I used to call the papers. I used to make sure the score's name was involved. Half of the things that got into score for other people, me and Schwartz, Jeff Schwartz put in. Oh, sure. we, should, we should, because because we under, I understood that by being in retail, you got to let the people know about you. You got to let the people know about you, and if you don't, and if you don't come out to play, nobody's.
1: They're going to forget about you. Yeah, no, you're right about that, and also, again, no, keeping your name out there, and again, using the media outlets that were available. Absolutely, and, and, and this is again when newspapers mattered. Television mattered, you know. Thing. Oh it's a, yeah, it's an interesting world, and I, and that's honestly, man. I'm 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 glad you're in it, and you get what is going on online because I think that uh, media is changing.
0: Well, I and got into are, it late you know, because I was making so much money.
1: Well, I'm, and again, yeah, you were. Well, you had a you had a nice big blowtorch. I mean, again. I have box and I have the score.
0: I've never had yeah. to leave Chicago. So, so what am I going to go do a podcast? I got a morning show, so I wasn't going to do it then. And now, because you know what, management or whatever types are going to keep certain people off, do whatever they have to do. They can't do that anymore. They can't do that anymore. If so and so wants to come on, we know people have been. I know guys that haven't been on the air in ten years. In ten years in Chicago or around the nation. I know guys that have lived in 20, Dick Beyondi, the great rock and roll guy, has worked in 26 different cities or 26 different venues. I was blessed to just work in Chicago. Arnie Spanier, a sports guy, one-on-one radio. I go, Arnie, yes, you're, I doing, you're, you're doing radio in Vermont on the ESPN. Why are you living in Vermont? He goes, that's where the job was. Yeah. So I've been no, very, Arnie's, very fortunate.
1: road warrior. Yeah, you're right. And Arnie is your typical kind of Absolutely. life lifer broadcaster, but willing to go city to city wherever that. Like he said, where, wherever that.
0: Do you know how much you know. love your craft? To maybe go somewhere when you've been on top of the heap, and you're going to go maybe to Connecticut, or you're going to go to some station in Vermont, and t- because you want to do the things you love, you're still getting paid. You're still a name, but but I mean, that's how much people don't understand. If you're in the sports radio business or in the radio business, they, for a lot of guys, and they're not as good as they used to be, it's a paycheck. For me, it was never a paycheck. We were supposed to know. be out of business in six months. So I said, I'm going for it. And that's just the way it is. It was never I was making a living before I got into it. I didn't have illusions of grandeur. It just happened.
1: What do you think the first big break was to get you guys noticed? do you? Yeah, okay, you think it was at the Ditka show and, and also the, the circumstances of the score and, and the Bears at the time. McCaskey. When Ditka, when Ditka blew up at the media?
0: Yeah, I or, think when and, Ditka and, blew up at the media in 92, wanted to challenge Neil from North, Like But first of all, they signed Mike Ditka. That was a huge signing. He's still the coach of okay. the Bears. That legitimized us. I think when we legitimized... The station was certain things every guy would do. My big coming out party was April when me and Michael McCaskey went at it back and forth on the air, and it was a vicious give and take. After the Bears got rid of Jay Hilgenberg for a draft pick, I remember it like it was yesterday. And I've never had, I've never been treated uh, ever since by the Bears with any kind of any kind. And not that I deserve it, but McCaskey. You see the problem with the Chicago people that own station, stations or own stations or own. They hold grudges forever to much to their detriment. They hold <laughs> I, grudges forever. I, I mean I, Mike McCaskey right. and I haven't said a word to each other since April of nineteen ninety-two.
1: I, I know people who uh through family friends have worked with the McCaskey. Yep. And were and were very happy to sit me down anytime and say, Let me tell you about that North guy. Oh and
0: yeah. Like, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just the way it was. I, I, I blew him out of the water. I was the voice of the guy, the average guy. They told me I, I was I was encouraged by the station. I wasn't discouraged. Of course, some of the other guys, there was a little bit I thought of envy and jealousy at the time that I could feel, but I didn't have no no proof of. But also, it helped the overall station. And every guy had a signature moment. Every guy at that station or every person on the air. So, you know, I never looked at it as anything else but trying to... Make us the best that we could be. We were the best sports station by far in the country. I think our third or fourth year in, by far.
1: Well, I, I think you're right, and also I think um, because we were unconventional, uh, you know. And I and I, I shouldn't include myself when I say we. Oh we yeah, agree. you should, was, because the production I was, I was, was, was quirky
0: older. too. The production was different. Oh, I sure. mean, I, I promoted a restaurant by crashing a plane into the parking lot of it. It was called Dakotas. Was,
1: was that was that? Oh, which which place was it? Dakotas. Dakotas, that's right. I we wanted to Louisiana. get something
0: to eat. We were going to land the plane crashes into the into the parking lot, and then that's we go, "Well, right. we're okay. Let's get out of here and let's go get something to eat at Dakotas." I mean, we actually had a plane crash. Tom Couch and I. <laughs> I mean, so that's that's how crazy that's we true. were, you know. That's true.
1: That's
0: and Dan so cool. Lee let us do it. Nowadays, you couldn't do any of that
1: stuff. Well, I wanted to talk about that because yes, we were the the point is yes the direct the editorial direction was unconventional, and management stayed out of the way. They were they were yep. okay with it.
0: Well, That's because they knew right from the get-go, I fought them from day one um, about everything. Um, if I was going to make it, I was going to make it on my own terms. I was I was a uh, 22-year-old out of Syracuse. I was a 39-year-old man that was told he wasn't going to make it. All of a sudden, I'm on the air talking to Mayor Daly and John Madden my first day. So now I was going to do it on my own terms, even if they told me not to. So what they would tell me is, don't do this, and then I would do it. Then they'd yell at me, and I'd say, then they'd find out it worked. Um when Ron Gleason told me, after I said I was out all night uh, getting slashed, um, the next day I brought it up on here. He goes, "You can't talk about drinking on the air." I go, "Well, then you might as well close the place up." I said, "If you're going to have a, a street kid say he was at Gibson's drinking Diet Pepsi all night, you're out of your mind." And and I, I said, "I want to. I want to. I want to embrace that. I want to." talk about going on a world tour. I want to talk about the 15 places I want, went to. I want to talk about the person that, the guys I ran into. I want to talk about running into Keanu Reeves. I want to talk about, these are all guys I ran into in, in the 90s, Keanu Reeves, Jason Patrick, that I became friends with, Dennis Rodman, I mean, Jeremy Roenick, because I was a poor man's Harry Carey at that time, to put it, to put, if I could put myself in his company. He was out, I was out. Every night almost.
1: Well, and that was the thing. I mean, you know, the games are downtown and everything. Absolutely. You're hang- and you're hanging out afterwards, and, and there's, you know, the, the nightlife of, of Chicago. Right. And suddenly you go from, you know, uh, closing up the hot dog joint and waiting for tomorrow right. to suddenly being able to really enjoy going to the games for free, covering them, speaking your mind, and get Ch- Tickets Chicago to go anymore.
0: see Frank Sinatra sitting at his table at Gibson's in the back. Talking to him for an hour, going to see him in Las Vegas, going to see Don Rickles with John Sutris and a group of people that I love, uh, and then going backstage and then having dinner with Don Rickles. This this stuff's not possible without WSCR Chicago. Period. End of story.
1: I was Forrest Gump. I really felt like I was. <laughs> <and along> for
0: <laughs> you were this great. R-
1: ridiculous ride where I would you know meet these and we'll keep other people out of the conversation. The great, but we had the
0: top. Film. We had the top people. The top people. We had a TV show at Basta Pass in Chicago, John and I. That's true. And my wife, Phoebe, <laughs> was the executive producer. We had everybody from Jake LaMotta to Pete Rose to Mike Krzyzewski to Carlton Fisk to Will Chamberlain uh, to to Harold Ramos to, to Bobby the Brain Heenan to yeah. to uh, 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 Daniel J. Travanti from Hill Street Blues. We had every top guy. People wanted to come on there. Frankie Avalon. I Jimmy mean... Hart. Unbelievable stuff! Yeah, I was at absolutely. Tony and Tina's wedding. I mean,
1: just Frankie Avalon was on the show. Was on the TV show?
0: Yeah, I mean, it just <laughs> un, just unbelievable. We had a full house every night. I think the only two guys that didn't really draw were Eric Kramer, <laughs> and um, I think the Bears at that time they didn't draw well. But we filled the place up on a consistent basis. Pete Rose was great the day, they, the week after Jib Gray. It was just a wonderful, wonderful experience, and we had so much fun on that show that I'm actually thinking, shake to go down to the cable access place down the street. and Me and you got to revive this thing. <laughs> we'll do a right, Comcast I need, thing.
1: I need new, I need new suits. I need a new wardrobe. We don't
0: know. We'll just
1: be <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll call it, we'll call it the Busters. B u s t e r s. We'll just we'll, we'll just be dressed down. We won't have to. We'll dress
0: down and we'll have the, uh, you know the burnt out cigarette. We'll relight it. You know. <laughs> You know what I mean? We'll have we'll have a two day growth of beard. We'll call ourselves the bust-outs. bustouts and be great. <laughs> I mean seriously, it's all fun. It's all it's all joke and fun and games at the end of the day, right? Absolutely, that's all it is.
1: Well, I wanted I wanted to get uh, your opinions because, as you say, you're you're willing to talk about anything. Anything and off the off the air. You were telling me your uh, your frustrations with the the uh, Batman Superman movie of last year.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you know, now, you know, first of all, I can't be blindsided. I got to know when this stuff's coming because it affects me. Because, you know, when you're a kid growing up, comic books were huge for me. Back in the 60s and back really? in the 70s and the 50s, big. We used to go to this place called Drug Store in the corner of Glenwood and Ridge and steal one or two a week. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She'd turn her back. She'd be at the soda fountain. We'd be pulling one. I mean, I'm I'm not proud of it now. I'd send her the bunny, but I know she's dead. Um, <laughs> but we used to go for Superman, Batman comics. Wait for the new editions. People did that. And the, what was great was the Superman annuals. That would be the thicker comic book. That would cost you more money. Okay. Yes.
1: I know. Exa- uh, no, this everyone everyone listening knows exactly what kind of. Right, so we about. waited
0: for those, and we didn't steal the 80 every eighty page giants. Yeah, you right? had to have 80... money. You had to have money, and yet yeah, it was a good read. Yeah. The annual, the Superman annual, the Batman annual, DC Comics. The other characters to me, like the Flash and the Green Lantern, you know, and, and, and guys like that, they were readable, but they weren't the stars of the show. Back when I was getting comic books, it was Batman and Superman. Superman was the king, Batman was the was the second-in-command, and then if you bought those comics, that means the other ones were sold out. The Batman and Superman were sold out, if you wanted to. Then, I found Western Comics, um, and I was shocked to hear this from you. I'm stunned, I'm hurt, <laughs> I'm besieged with grief. I love this guy, and I hate to say it in the F.A. now, because I might be accused of having some sort of thing going with him, called the Rawhide Kid. Um okay. And I started buying his comics in 62, 63, 64. Okay. Lo and behold, I'm talking to you the other day on the air, off the air. Yeah,
1: that's right. In
0: my car, being my wife. And, and you tell me that the man uh, had a coming out party, I believe, it is what they say nowadays.
1: Well, they, they rebooted the character in the early 2000s and, and turned him gay. And from what I understand,
0: and I'm happy about this, because I don't think you should use any kind of reason, uh, racial, sexual, whatever, to try to reboot anything, okay? Sometimes that can blow up in your face. And I'm happy to hear that basically the old school guard of the Rawhide Kid, a man, <laughs> we guard the gates. I guess that it didn't hit off as well as they thought. Am I right in assuming this?
1: Well, the series sold fine to the modern audience, but the old the old guard did complain and say, Hey, what are you doing to the Ryan kid? Wait right.
0: a minute. I and mean, it was so. all,
1: you know, it was done, in, honestly, it was done in fun. It, you, know, you know, honestly, Mike, it was just like Zoro the Gay Blade. I don't think it was blade. funny, Shake. I gotta I be know, honest wait, with you. Now, nah, wait a minute. I don't I think it was, me, I
0: don't know. think it was funny. You just can't throw that at me after 30, after 30 40 years of a fan base. You
1: can't do that. Well, what did you, what did you think of George Hamilton's Zorro the Gay Blade?
0: You know what? I've never watched the whole thing. I, I like the Antonio Banderas one better, but nobody's going to beat Guy Williams. So that's just the way well, I, I am.
1: Well, no, and I agree with that. Yeah, but, but I, yeah, I,
0: still, but I do I, like, like, blazing saddles. It's always good to take slaps and stuff. It was no well, big that's deal. The thing,
1: it was a parody. And really, this Rawhide Kid was really just, it was just fun. It was... It then was... they
0: make the guy look menacing, black leather pants.
1: Well, he always had that. Honestly, that was always... Well, he was
0: flashy. That's why I love the guy. But he looked sure. like, uh, one of the outfits I saw him looked like the uh, Elvis, the outfit Elvis wore in the 68 special. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly.
1: Yes, I do. Exactly. Yeah, so that's what they no, copied it
0: the they... after, basically.
1: Oh, totally. At, oh, no, no question. And seriously, like, Don Knotch shows up in the reboot and everything. I mean, it's John Severin, the artist, had a ball. And that's i tell you, Rod Zimmerman rod zimmerman uh you know it wasn't it wasn't for the rawhide kid but i forget what controversy drummed him out of comics but he was a howard stern guy he was a howard stern comedy well
0: i'll also say this stan lee i did not know that the rawhide kid was marvel was he marvel
1: say it again about stan lee yes he was marvel i didn't know was the Rawhide kid
0: marvel yes that's unbelievable i never knew that but but that that tells you something about Stan Lee. He made a Western guy. I mean, jump out at you. I mean, I I I was looking for alternatives at the time. That doesn't sound like a good thing to say in light of what happened to the to the uh, Rawhide Kid. But I was looking for other things than the superhero. I was looking for a regular dude, and the Rawhide Kid was that. So I loved the Rawhide Kid. And there was yeah. another guy. What was he called? Uh, another uh, a Western star, Colt something or another. Kid.
1: Um, kid Colt. Kid Colt Outlaw.
0: Yeah. But I like the Rawhide Kid, so good for him. I'm glad. Is he back now? Is he back? Is he? Did he do it in H? Did he come back to where he was before? <laughs> I mean, what did he do? I mean, seriously now. He
1: yeah, he, exper- he experimented. It's like college. He experimented while he was out on. That's that exactly boy. And, and he, what uh, a frontier and, and, it was. And the, and, uh, you know
0: what a frontier it was. It but was the Rawhide Kid was great. And I love comic books. And I wasn't happy about the <laughs> Superman Batman fight. That's the stupidest concept of all time i could have saved the money superman any day of the week on, and twice on sunday kicks batman's ass unless batman throws some kryptonite you know at him and right. it hits him and he gets weakened
1: well i you know i told you this uh in the in the nerd culture and whenever it's you know is it batman against thor batman against the hulk batman against the whole justice league batman usually wins because he's like sherlock holmes He's just always smarter than everybody else, and he always has a plan. And usually, when it comes to Superman, the plan has to involve kryptonite. Yes. Because, you know, he's, there's no Why well, I
0: didn't watch the movie. No I choice. didn't go to the movie. i will never go to that movie. i will never see it on TV. I've <laughs> seen it on, they show it on the HBO. You know, I won't even look at it. I mean, Superman versus Batman, the dumbest thing of all time, period. Period.
1: Were you a, uh, were you a, uh, you were obviously a George Reeves Superman. Huge. Kid. Were you also an Adam, were you an Adam Westbath? Not as big as well? George Reeves. And I'll tell you why. How old were you? I, I'm not trying to age you, but honestly, like, what were you, like 12 or 13? Well, when, listen, uh, it was on. Well, out? when Batman came out, yeah, it was huge. It was twice a week. Right, 66. Yeah. It's 1966.
0: Listen, the monkeys so... and Batman and combat. Those were the three things. Those were, those were money makers. Vic <laughs> Moore was breaking oh, it in twice I... a week. Um, uh, the Gallant Men with David Edison. Uh, that was where. Sure. Uh, the... But the, no, the, it was combat, it was the monkeys. And, and Superman was 59 60 sixty one, but they were in syndication. WGN played Superman right. every Saturday night at six o'clock, and we had the, we had the portal, P, portable TV in the kitchen. It was still a huge, it was a huge series for, for, a, for a while. That, the movie Hollywood Land," I liked it. Uh, I, I know they had to add some storylines into it to make it longer and stuff because it is really a short thing, the death of George Reeves, but that's a fascinating death, and i 'll never forget the day that we found yes. out he died. Uh, we were walking to school. We were third grade. You, you know, people talk. You know, Where were you when Kennedy died? Screw that. Where was I when George Reeves
1: died? You know, really, really. Was it like shocking? Or, uh, Everything was, uh,
0: in the movie died, right? was true. When we found out Superman died, the kids. We were depressed. We were. I mean, that was I our guy. It. I mean, he was. He was bigger than nobody realized how huge he was at fifty nine, sixty, sixty one. Uh, nobody. But that, and, and the nonsense. And on top of that, you see the movie, and he wasn't happy. He had to be out of his mind. I mean, because uh, he he felt he got typecasted, and he did. But, man, if you're going to be typecasted... I mean, Roy Rogers was typecasted for 50, 60 years. Never complained. You know what I mean? He just ran Well, but
1: them. the difference... Yeah, but the difference with, like, Roy Rogers and Hopalong Cassidy was they were able to kind of control their shots. With the TV show, I know Reeves... They were paying those guys nothing yeah. compared to what well, they were Well, the thing making. with Roy Rogers is
0: lunchboxes. I mean, he had every kind of... Right, well, that's what I meant. Well, and here's the thing. Hopalong Cassidy, though, you know, was not Hopalong Cassidy. You know? He was played by somebody.
1: Right, well, you... Were boy. Yeah, but he, like... Yeah, but he bought right. the rights to... but Roy um, Rogers and was Roy Rogers. Movies. And the same... Well, but that's... When you old, walked you, up to William Gene Autry,
0: and you said, Hi, Mr. Autry, he said, Hello. When you walked up to to, to John Wayne... And he said, hi, Mr. Donovan. He looked at you like, who are you talking to? Because he was playing a character. <laughs> Roy Rogers was Roy Rogers. And the cool thing about Roy Rogers was he could do everything that he did in the movies. And he'd do it right in front of you, in front at the Chicago Amphitheater back in the day, in front of uh, 20,000 people.
1: Well, I believe that. Absolutely, man. No, I mean, you know, I saw him on uh, the, the channel Decades, and they were showing celebrity bowling from the 70s. Yeah. He was literally the best celebrity. Oh, ever. yeah. I mean, he he could easily roll over 200, like, just was amazing, was a machine. And
0: Trigger Trigger was, was a national was. icon. I mean, that's the way he yes. was. I mean, his horse was as big a part of his act. And Trigger, people don't know this, if you love the movie Robin Hood with Errol Flynn, who's my idol, my idol of all time. Um, <laughs> if you love the movie Robin Hood, Olivia de Havilland in that movie rides Trigger. That's the, he, and, and Trigger, then... Roy Rogers purchases Trigger, and that's how that whole thing starts. And Trigger became as much uh, of, of a fan. I mean, I was as much of a fan of the horse and the dog and Dale Evans. It was a family thing. It was the first really reality show
1: back in the 50s. It really was. <laughs> I see what you mean. You're right. Them and Ozzy right. Harriet, obviously. That's hilarious. You're right, though. That's very, very funny. Now I got to ask you about action movies. All right, of that era, is Errol Flynn your top action movie? Nobody
0: career? ever better. Uh, I'm prejudiced to a point where I've read everything. Well, on, do I've all. read everything on the man. I've read his autobiography, and I'm not a book reader. Evil, my wicked, wicked my ways. Wicked, wicked way. I've read. Uh, I've seen the movie, which was done terribly. Uh, they have a yeah. movie with Kevin Kline that was supposed to come out. They're still waiting on that. Um,
1: hey, on that movie, the TV movie of that, wasn't the guy? who played Zorro in the 80s. Wasn't it Duncan Frigalio? Yes. Wasn't he? Yes.
0: Reflin? And it was okay. Yeah, God, and then Barbara Hersey played Lily Mata. I know everything about the guy <laughs> from his... I, 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 listen, the guy drank himself so, you know, drank himself to death. I, and I was trying to do you that myself. You. I don't know if I was living vicariously through him. Not drinking myself to death, but drinking on a continuous basis. And I had to finally stop. I mean, but this guy died at 49. So, I mean, it was a shame. It, you know, it, he was so talented and so under appreciated as an actor. He was as good an actor as Gable. I don't care what anybody says. And and, and, and he was as good an actor as other ones, but he was not... Uh, he had scandal in his life, and he okay. he wasn't married to his craft.
1: No, you're right. I think. Well, and again, I mean, he kind of fell into acting. I mean, he had done... He was a gun runner sure. in the 20s and 30s. Yep. And, uh, you know, in Tasmania. He fought with Hemingway
0: I mean, obviously... in the Spanish War. Yep. I mean, so yep. that's my kind of guy... And then he does half his own stunts, only half, because you weren't allowed to do them all. Um, I mean, that's why I like Steve McQueen. He's not Steve McQueen, to me, is an underwhelming actor, period, end of story. Not, didn't want a lot of uh, dialogue. But if, in the movie, Papillon, people don't know this. Oh,
1: my God. Oh, my
0: God. He jumps yeah. off the cliff. That is him. Read it. And you would be nuts to do it. But even in the motorcycle scenes in The Great Escape, that's why I love those guys.
1: Oh, they yeah. did their well, own that's stuff. Not like great Escape, Magnificent oh, my God. Seven, those are great. But but really, I, I agree with you. Papillon is probably one of his greatest actors. I, I ones, think it's because his best really ever. To... Yeah, I think you're right, man. I, I thought
0: really that he right. did his best to be underwhelming and just to be cool. Yul Brunner oh. never liked them when they did the Magnificent Seven. Never liked them said he tried to upstage him. You'll see the movie. Yep. He tips his cap when he's not supposed to. He'll play with, his, with, with uh, something on his wrist when he's not, when Yul Brynner's talking. Yul Brenner never yep. liked them in the movie, but it was a great movie. It was just a fantastic movie with the top stars and actual guys that you wouldn't want to fight. Actually in real life, like Charles Bronson, James Colburn, Robert Vaughn. You don't want a piece of these guys in real life. So that's why the movie was great.
1: I hear you, man. You know, we, of course, uh, you had the pleasure of uh, interviewing Robert Vaughn. Oh, my uh, God. On the radio show. And and I had the pleasure of talking to him that following weekend. I was uh, at
0: the Playboy Mansion. I'll never forget. I did three days at the Playboy Mansion in a different way than most people would think, but we did. (laughs) Christy Hefter and Hugh Hefter and Billy Maravich said, bring the show out there. It's a millennial 2000. I mean, Howard Stern and I were the only guys ever allowed on those grounds at that time. And, And Robert Culp walks up to me. I I spy. But the best was Martin Landau. And Martin Landau, I had just seen Ed Wood. I mean, I I just couldn't believe it. These guys from Mission Impossible. And then Hugh Hefner comes and sits down. And then Vern Troyer, tugging at my pants leg. I'm going, who's down there? It was him. (laughs) It was the little guy from from Austin Powers. It was just hilarious. The grotto, (laughs) the whole scene. Those guys were, were salt of the earth, old school. They were the old school actors that... William Powell used to be. Those were my William Powells. You know what I mean?
1: I hear. Yeah, I'm a huge William Powell fan. No, absolutely. Robert Culp, not only great actor, but very good screenwriter, wrote Bob Carroll, Ted, and Alice, big... And laid the sausage. And
0: Saz- laid <laughs> the That's true. I mean, my God. I mean, these guys, they... I mean, James Conn in his old room at the mansion. His own room. Oh, yeah. He had his own room.
1: They were of that... Yeah, they were of that original Hefner crowd. Yeah, oh just I mean, just they phenomenal. Were, they, they were the old guard. Yeah. Yeah man. And no, then I awesome. went to the Beverly yeah, Hills Or the the polo
0: lounge. Sat there and watched people come in and out. You know, some <laughs> old star. I mean I'm just looking it I mean that is just a trip that I'll never forget. I, I really I, I just couldn't believe it. The game room is not even attached to the real mansion. The game room is a is like down about five hundred feet. Nothing but video. Uh, you have video pong. You have all the old school evil Knievel pinball machines. Elton John. I mean, it just was a. If you he lived the way he wanted to live, and he's still ticking. That's that's unbelievable.
1: Oh yeah, you know what do you think? Remember, wasn't it last year they announced that they're trying to sell the mansion?
0: Yeah, I mean, I still go by the one on <laughs> State Parkway and and reminisce. I mean that it, it yeah, was so cool yeah. that.
1: His Chicago, yeah, his Chicago he yeah, I mean, yeah. He lived in the middle of the block.
0: I mean, yeah. he lived in the middle of the block in a twenty-four room house with him and staff and you know anybody that would straggle
1: in. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. <laughs> well, and, he, and he, I'm assuming. Well, I don't remember when. No, he was still in Chicago when they were doing Playboy. Oh Apple, yeah, right. Oh
0: yeah, they came to the mansion.
1: That was like the hippest, yeah. uh, that was the, one of the yeah, hippest well, was
0: the shows. Sammy Davis, you know, he'd be talking to some girl, and then Sammy Davis Jr. would walk up and go, hi, F. And all of a sudden, they'd say, Hey, man. Yeah, and then Frank Sinatra. I'm going to sing for you. You know.
1: All right, let me. Hey, Don Adams is about to do a little shtick. Right. And then I'm going to Ladies and
0: gentlemen, this guy's a real good guy. Say hello to Mort Song. You know what I mean? They exactly. bring on Mort Saul. <laughs> Uh With
1: the with the newspaper under his with arm. With the newspaper
0: under right. his arm. Lenny Bruce was on.
1: President Johnson ought to think twice about her space program.
0: Yeah. And then you'd have Lenny Bruce. <laughs> Lenny Bruce was on Playboy After Dark, who started it all. So, I mean, yeah. the history of, of uh, that's one of the shows that you'd love to see them bring back. And, and just play just for the history element of it. Alfred Hitchcock is you're walking through the front room and F says, hey, Alfred, how you doing? You know, just stuff like that.
1: <laughs> I had a woman on last year who wrote an amazing book about the history of the Playboy Clubs. And it was fantastic. And honestly, between the bunnies and and the comedians that worked there, all the amazing jazz acts and stuff, how important Hefner was uh, to jazz, really, from the 50s through, uh, you know, the existence of the clubs and the
0: jazz Well, the archaic nature of it, eventually. I mean, I I remember going to the Playboy Club in my 20s, and my buddy Joe Moran had a a key card. (laughs) And that's how you got in. I mean, you had to know somebody that got in. But once you got in... Okay, it was wild. It was, but things were changing. I mean, you could see more tailored shenanigans the years, on the vision right? than you could at the Playboy Mansion. I mean, I mean, at the Playboy <laughs> Club. So you'd go pay this big money and you'd see a bunch of girls walking around in rabbit costumes, which at the time was pretty cool. But then you'd walk outside and there's a girl from mini skirt up to where you know what. So things were changing. You know what I'm saying? I do know what yeah. you're saying.
1: That's fantastic. Yeah. I, you know, uh, I, I want to bring it back. I'm actually
0: talking to a woman ordering a drink. She's got ears on her head and a bunny rabbit tail as yeah, she's talking yeah, to me. Hello.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Give me a gin and tonic, please.
0: So, so if you want to <laughs> march about something, that's something that you should have marched about back in the day. You know what I mean?
1: Well, they did. The oh, yeah. woman was out in angry. Gloria Steiner,
0: by the done. way, was oh, a don't. former bunny. I wanted to just throw that in. That, that's you know. It just,
1: that's to- well, she did it for. A, she did it as an expose. She was doing a. She was doing an article. That's her story. And, uh, oh, She's sticking to it.
0: <laughs> I think she liked the action. The old lady. God bless well, her. And you know,
1: yeah, but uh, Hefner was on the right side of uh, of radical politics all, all, the time. all the time. So, so you know, I mean, it's he was a he was of two sides. He was like, Trump he before Trump.
0: Only he did it in a you know he had to fight him off. He did wasn't as bombastic, but he would go on to talk shows and fight the you know the free Friedans of the world, the Steinems of the world, the you know. Uh, you know, now nowadays, you know, it would be some of the arguments are so stupid nowadays. But then they were objectified in a lot of ways. But the, the, my argument always was that you know I knew Joe Collins, okay, and and I saw Joe Collins at Gibson's.
1: Joe Collins, uh, we should we should clarify for my audience. Joe Collins was a playmate. Oh that uh, performed for the troops. during, And the, also
0: went out with my friend was, Boba was a, back. He was a playboy baseball player. Now she's got to be in her 70s. But I met her, and she's got a beautiful daughter now. And I remember seeing her at Gibson's in the 90s. Did you ever feel objectified? She goes, no. Until people brought it up, I mean, people made a big deal out of it. She goes, "We loved the life; it was a great life; it was a good living." I was on, in a magazine, but it took nerve back in the '60s and early '70s to do nude things, nude layouts, where they did show everything sure. at the time.
1: Well, again, he was he was leading oh, the sexual yeah. revolution. Larry Flint so, took it to the next Sonny, level. Larry Flint thing.
0: took it to the next level. Big that's- time.
1: <laughs> yeah, he did. He took it back to the body. Well, I mean you got, got no fear. I mean
0: that's how you make it in life. You if, <laughs> that's if, true. If no, you, you're right about if that. You and you think I would think point. anything <laughs> that's radical or that you think the people would like if you like it, you're saying to yourself, That's how I felt about sports radio. That's how, why wouldn't other people like it if I love it? Yeah, and you just go for it. And and, 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 and if you think about it, if Larry Flint would have once stopped and thought for ten minutes, the ramifications—he would have never made it. He would have never made it. And if he would have known all the ramifications, because once you're in a shaky, me to a smaller extent, I was Trump before Trump. I had a guy tell me that the other day, walking down the street, I go, "What'd you think of Trump?" The guy goes, "Man, go ahead, good for him." He goes, "You were Trump before Trump. You took all the same crap, the racial stuff. You were." I was working with, I was writing for the Chicago Defender, and I was working with Dan Jiggins. The defender of the number one African American weekly uh, and Dan Giggett, the first Harvard black co-captain and I was being called a racist back in the day because I would just state things as I thought them, and that's always the the thing they look at and i just I just kept going, and just like I admire people that aren't going to let people's words try to sidetrack them, but sooner or later it can take its toll that's why when you see. Mm. People do what they do, like a Larry Flint, a Donald Trump, a Hugh Hefner, um, a, the Beatles, um, even guys like Don Kirshner, you know, who who took over the Monkees. Did you see that documentary on the Monkees?
1: Oh God, yeah. I mean,
0: really, it was amazing. He should still be getting checks. He probably is.
1: But, but, well, he did. Oh yeah, no, I think uh, the stuff on his for the first two albums that were Kirshner Productions. Oh, yeah, and, well, you know, he's passed away, but I'm sure his estate, you know, still makes the money. I still think
0: think the guy, I still think, I never think of Don Kirshner being dead. Any man that brought me to Midnight Special, special in my world, you know what I mean? (laughs) I mean, when they used to have (laughs) rock groups at 12 o'clock at night, you'd have the top five bands in the world playing on your TV set. Now now you got, you know, now you know that, I still think there's a place for a show like that. I still think you can make it on a show like that, you know? But they have videos now and everything else that you can go to in one second. So now they got to go out and order to live in by actually touring.
1: Well, you know, it's weird. Uh, as we're talking, Riverdale is debuting tonight on the CW, and that's a reboot of the Archies. And it's it's just the regular Archie. It's a teenage drama in the way that, you know, right. the Archie comics were or whatever. But I know that Archie has been playing with the idea of doing, um, you know, a, an Archies band, a new Archies band. Let me tell kind of everybody this. the best way to like, do it. When I was driving to Florida,
0: well, not me, my father, we were in a station wagon, 1969, three-day trip. I wanted to kill myself. Five stations on the radio. There's no satellite radio, nothing. You have your two magazines. You read those the first ten minutes you're in the car. And then all you do is keep asking your dad, are we there yet, for three days. And it's the most <laughs> boring, mundane ride. And the Archie's. Were the number one song "Sugar, Sugar." I'm not kidding you, folks. Right. You can laugh all you want. That song was a monster. It was a monster oh, hit. Yeah. "Sugar, Honey, Honey," you are that simpleton song. Was and that was a Don Kirshner production, by the way,
1: given to all the monkeys right. originally, and they so took he it said,
0: down. "I'm going to stick it in there." You know what? And make a cartoon of this song. And show them how really talented they really were, and he kicked their ass with that song. That song, and if the if the monkeys would have made it, it would have been just as big. But he gave it, and they made a cartoon out of it with studio musicians.
1: You're right, and also the uh, the the publishing company that owns the the rights to Archie, all the rights, including the cartoons and stuff, made oh, a ton of money.
0: Don a Kirchner's money. a genius. He really was. He was he was a genius. And Boyce and Hart were the guys that wrote the songs. Neil Diamond uh, wrote, I mean, they're the top writers for the Monkees. I love Mickey Dolenz. He's going to be at the, in fact, he followed me on Twitter the other day. So when somebody, yeah. Oh, that's great. uh, Olivia Newton-John, Jennifer Lopez, and Mickey Dolenz. And I'm more excited about Mickey Dolenz following me than than anybody else. He's (laughs) going to be at the Arcadia February 11th uh, in St. Charles, Illinois. So he's a smart guy. He latched on to me. He knows I'm going to talk about it and stuff like that, and why not? He's he's really had... You want to, He was a talented guy before The monkeys. He did a show called Circus Boy, and uh, it was a yep. TV series, very popular about... A, a moment of silence for the circus, by the way. Um, but that was the... Uh, <laughs> that, yeah, that was the big show back even before The Monkees, so he did have... He was one of the few guys that had some experience.
1: I hear you. You know, I'm glad you mentioned The Circus, because like everyone laughs at the what looks like underwear on the outside of their pants with superheroes but that came from acrobats in the circus and strongmen from the circus and that was just the leotards and that was what you know they wore and that i mean unfortunately the circus has become so insignificant that everyone's like well because you're fighting off
0: everybody because the circus isn't i just talked to a guy that took his five-year-old daughter to the circus she loved it he goes, now like, there's no, going to be no more circus. Every one of us went to the circus, at least once or twice. There was no PETA. Really like the elephants loved to perform. Hey. Now the elephant's going to be standing in the middle of some big pen at Brookfield Zoo while somebody puts a shower of water on him twice a day. This guy was a performer. No, and no. I, when they got rid of the elephants, of course the circus died. You cannot. That was the number one thing at Ringling Brothers. Forget about the ringmaster, the lions, the tigers, the acrobats. The elephant is on their posters. More prominently than anybody else, and when there's no elephants, the circus really stopped being the circus. Period.
1: Did you Did you like the circus when you were a kid? I got to be honest, I didn't like the. Circus. I mean, I like the idea of it, and then we got there, it stank. It really I got to be honest, I love I, the I, I, I would never the go back.
0: Unless I had kids, it's a kid <laughs> thing. Once you're nine, if you go to the circus, you get beat up by your friends. You got to be seven or eight. Did you if you tell your friends <laughs> you went to the circus and you're 15, you're getting an ass kicking. I mean, that's it. Yet I'm the guy that will watch Bozo reruns, so what's yeah, wrong with me?
1: Yeah, but Bozo was different. Bozo was a funny show. That was a
0: The circus point. was entertaining. Really? Look, at all you have to do is see Trapeze with Burt Reynolds. I mean, Burt Lancaster. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Uh, Lancaster didn't mean to demean you because Burt Reynolds is good, but Burt Lancaster <laughs> was the man. Um,
1: oh, that's a great movie. Trapeze, Trapeze with Tony Curtis, movie.
0: Gina lola Brigida? You know, you had the ringmasters, the whole ball, the three rings. But you know what? It's a 145-year run. Good for you. Goodbye. You know. <laughs> I remember they were doing Circus of the Stars on, on ABC with elephants and everything.
1: Sure. Here's Ted Knight riding what? an elephant. <laughs> Jamie Farr is about to cross the uh, tightrope. Hey, I'm actor. The
0: acronym. communists took over, Sheikh. What are we going to do? They're, they don't want us to have any fun.
1: Man, I got some Glenn Ford dirt. I love for Glenn you. Ford. Yeah, Let's talk about Glenn Ford things. now. I love him. <laughs> Well, first of all, he is a god to the geek community as Jonathan Kent in the original Superman.
0: Oh, God you know, bless him! When he was in that, he had to be like three sheets to the wind while he was shooting uh, that movie. <laughs> I mean,
1: <laughs> he's on he's on camera for like maybe ten minutes. Well, that and he, when they find the rocket, obviously. But that speech to to his son when he's like, "You're here for he's a great. reason." I don't know what it is. Honestly, he brings gravitas to that movie, the way that, what's-his-face, Obi-Wan Kenobi did, Alec Guinness, well, to Star
0: Wars. here's my deal True. with Glenn Ford. True. He, from day one, was a star. He got them all. He tagged all the women. My wife didn't know he was his biggest star, but since I watch TCM now, BB and I watch it. I'm a member of the Backlot Club. I'm excited. Um, oh,
1: yeah. that's great. Are you ever going to go to one of their... Yeah, I want to meet
0: things. Ben whats in, in person. Um
1: I don't blame him. Yeah. I love Ben Mankiewicz. I had the, a new silk band. suit I'm on. had a new silk on suit point.
0: on the other day. Ben stepping up, um, that's, that's but beautiful. Glenn Ford, <laughs> from the courtship of Betty's father to uh, Three Ten to Yuma, uh, a lot of his movies
1: the weren't ben lo- story.
0: you know weren't the the overwhelming big hits. But he was always working, always prepared, and he could drink anybody under the table. From what I understand. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, he's solid. No, I great actor. But I've read, I told you this off the air uh, a night or two ago, I read this great John Wayne biography that Scott Eyman wrote. It's incredible. It's just from a couple years Mm -hmm. ago. It's so good. And um, one of the films, they weren't in the film together, but Wayne's production company made a Glenn Mm -hmm. Ford film. And they approached him to be the lead in a film. And word got back that Glenn Ford's like, well, what kind of gift are you going to give me at the end of the production? and, it's, and Patrick Wayne, or not Patrick, I forget which son was the uh, the producer's son, uh, but he goes back to the Duke and he's like, We got to buy a gift for, for Glenn Ford. He's like, What the <laughs> hell is he talking about? He goes, Supposedly at the end of every film shoot, he gets a gift. He's like, Well, buy him a gift. And he goes, What if it's a $40,000 yacht that he's expecting? So all he wanted was a film nice. projector. And so they're like, Fine, get him the film projector. But the other story I heard Robert Wool oh, yeah. from HBO. And and then Cobb, you know, the, the the very funny comedian and actor, he told a story that Glenn Ford, apparently the rumors were that Glenn Ford was so cheap, he would take his wardrobe from the movies home with him. And he, oh, that's a nice jacket. And he would just walk off with it to the point where literally he was even like sets where he's like, oh, you know, that's a pretty. He was nice, married like four or five a nice times. Uh, Well, when I'm getting to that stuff, but it got so bad supposedly that whatever studio, whether it was Fox or Columbia, they put him in B movies with cheap sets and cheap furniture because they're like, fine, that's all. Oh yeah, yeah, a lot of those old
0: (laughs) (laughs) movies—they're unbelievable. He loved Rita Hayworth, you know. He tagged her; she was unbelievable.
1: Yeah, Uh, they had an on and And off type of of thing for thirty years. Wow, I didn't know it was that long. Judy Garland. I just read Judy yeah, Garland. Yeah, Judy
0: Garland Debbie Reynolds, I think, did the did the, did her thing with them too. Um, you know, so I mean, you know what back then if you're Glenn Ford, you're Sinatra, you're doing the tender trap or something like that, Tony Randall. I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, just walk in. there's there's women all over the place. I mean, well, so
1: We we got it we got it firsthand from Robert yeah. Vaughn. Who wouldn't name names, but just said being a young man in the '60s and being a lead on a on a very popular television show? He's like, I, have a very I couldn't nice
0: believe time. Robert Vaughn <laughs> telling us, "Yeah, I wasn't going to get married then. I just got married recently." He says, "Talk like that, really low, you know, just like he did his characters." Whether it's the
1: oh my, we talked to Napoleon so. He long, was awesome he, he was, was great, and he
0: uh, and 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 he and he was a lifelong bachelor for the most part till 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 the end. I was really bothered when he died i i i, I 'm getting to the point now oh, a yeah. lot of my guys are starting to starting to die and it 's starting to bother me a little bit. Arnold Palmer died this year what really took me. He was born on the same day as me September tenth he was my idol growing up as far as oh he was a virgo wow, that's cool. he was a, uh, a, a a guy that he was the first my first star i 've been toying with writing a book about called the first, my first star. He was the first guy I saw on TV. I was like seven, eight years old. It was a Saturday tournament, the Shell Wonderful World of Golf, and I fell in love with the guy from there on. I mean, he was a swashbuckling guy. Believe me, if there would have been social media back then, he would have been in trouble himself. They didn't call him the king for nothing. You know what I'm <laughs> did, saying?
1: Did you, did you get a chance? I can't remember. If Talked if to Arnold to talk to Palmer twice anybody. on the phone.
0: Never met him. Cried profusely uh, when I found out he died. Um... Yeah. But just, I mean, you, you figure you're a kid and you're seven, and now you're sixty four, and your guy just died, so a guy you followed from beginning to end was always exemplary, class act. You no,
1: know. I understand. Well, you know, I, you know, you know my feelings oh, about yeah. Ali, and I, uh, and I got to, and I got to meet Ali before, you know, about twenty yep. five years ago, and oh. I had that same feeling this summer when he passed, because all my life I've been right. an Ali fan. Away for uh, Joe
0: Frazier. Yeah, no, I felt that I felt that way. Sure. I'm feeling that way. Well, Presley killed me. I mean, it almost killed me. It almost—I'm yeah, not that. kidding you, shake. I it almost killed that. me. People don't know. I was into entertainment and politics as much as sports. And and when Presley, uh, I I was hanging out at Sun High School. And when we found out he died, I mean that you know we got together. We were all stunned. I mean, we couldn't believe it. We knew he was bad, knew he in bad shape at 42. That one threw me for a loop. Pete Mirovich threw me for a loop, dying at forty, at forty-two years old. A lot of—I'll tell you who's the most remarkable. I never thought somebody would take Presley's um, place in my world. This Mick Jagger is just unbelievable, unbelievable entertainer, unbelievable person, unbelievable that this guy at seventy something. I heard him on a jukebox in nineteen sixty-five at Round Lake Beach. They had a bandstand, and I can't believe the guy's still going. I just saw this documentary of them in Cuba. They're unbelievable they are unbelievable.
1: Yes. I wanted to ask you about documentaries yeah, I love them. because you're a big documentary mm-hmm. guy as well. All right, a couple sports ones. First of all, I'm glad because when you said Arnold Palmer, what I thought of was that amazing was it the 1960 yes. US Open yes. that HBO yes. does the documentary and it's Palmer, yes. Nicholas and Ben Hogan. And it and it's the most one of the most amazing true sports stories of all those events and how those three guys going into that tournament, and what happens at that tournament. It's it's really yeah, one of the best Namath,
0: stories. Uh, a great documentary I, on Joe Namath. Uh, That's a I, one. HBO's now yes. falling off a little bit. They're doing stuff on women that like to get drunk, called risky drinking, and all this nonsense, you know. Go be, I mean, okay, women like to drink. Congratulations.
1: <laughs> I'm interested with, with HBO, mm-hmm. before we leave HBO for a second, with Bill Simmons coming over, because and it, don't get me wrong, I wasn't a fan of his weekly show. I thought it sucked, but he, you know, is one of the big creative minds behind 30 for 30 at ESPN. And I do think that him coming... Well, to he got let go, go now. I mean, they just canceled that show. their documentaries. Oh, no, no, no. I know the TV show... Well, Bob, he's very he's lucky, man. With that's all I'm going to tell you, because again,
0: I've never latched on to the guy. I, I think well, he's, You're right. He's more behind the scenes as a, as a guy that's going to hold up together a franchise... He he's made a couple career missteps, but he's also his own man. So I have no problem with that, and he's yes. done well for himself. But I, you know, it, it's it's the nonsense like Rachel Nichols getting her third chance at ESPN. You know, people like that that keep hanging around because her father's a big wig in the business. Those those are the people that piss me off.
1: I can appreciate that, but I went right back to back to documentaries to see the John Daly Thirty for Thirty.
0: Yeah. It's oh no, amazing. they do a great job. It's I love amazing. the Thirty for Thirty. I, honestly, I love them. I love them.
1: Yeah, I mean, that. you know, honestly, I, I sports documentaries is still like an interesting subject for me. I think that's, I, I really, I, I don't know, I, I get They're something great. And, and I think the stories are incredible. Jesse Owens! I mean, yeah. you know, look
0: at the Jackie Robinson movie the movie's yeah, the not movie bad is good. you know what I know the, the story the, the but you good. know what the movie's good the way it was made you gotta add some flares to it I thought that they dug deeper than the Robinson movie uh, the Jackie Robinson movie has been done a couple times you I know agree. and everything else yes. I thought they went overboard with the N word I know it was bad but I thought that they really tried to it, it really show you how racially it was in the 1940s you didn't really need to be shown that you you knew it was like that there could have been so, but they used that word so many times I, I didn't like it that much but I liked the Jesse Owens movie
1: yeah the Jesse Owens movie I, I thought was absolutely amazing you know and I felt it's funny now 15 years later or whatever it was when uh, when the money when the A's story when the Oakland A's story came out I was f- following it at Sporting News Radio we were following it every day it was a big story so when the movie Moneyball came out I, at first I kind of shrugged I'm like well I know this story I'm like hey, well the Moneyball thing a joke because he's never season.
0: won anything um I know what they're talking about and everything else, but I don't think that Andy or Billy Bean is, is anything that I would go. I mean, Brad Pitt playing them, the whole ball wax. I get it, but I, I just I never really? latched onto that movie. I'll I'll tell you a movie I love, and I'll tell you what's a shame. And this is not a document. Well, it is a documentary. It's a movie, but it's one of my favorite movies, and and and, and makes me sick that Philip Seymour Hoffman died. It really does. Because it shows you how talented he is. Charlie Wilson's war. Did you see that?
1: I love that movie. I've been watching It's so funny. Oh, Every yeah. Time, and, and you, obviously, have been watching it, too. Because they've been playing the hell out of it lately on HBO. No, that's that's a, a that's real, amazing, story. real story. Well done. Well
0: acted. If you look up Charlie Wilson, Tom Hanks has this ability to look like these people. I mean, he's just got that natural, just normal look. I mean, he did... Uh, the Mary Poppins mm-hmm. movie. He does look strikingly like Walt Disney. I mean, yeah, it's yeah, saving, so weird. Saving, Tom saving Hanks is just this normal called, yeah. look, and and he looks like Charlie Wilson. Julia Roberts was great in it. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman was fantastic in it. As oh yeah, Dust got yeah. Just great.
1: The whole cast. Ned Beatty is great. The, uh, great the chairman, stuff. I mean, uh, I can watch that
0: everything. movie. That's a, that's a Shawshank. I mean, yeah, I call it the Shawshank. Whenever Shawshanks and you stop, I stop no, at Carly Wilson's War. Got but it. anyway, Absolutely. Shake, it's totally almost through.
1: time to eat. Totally a, I can yeah, do this. I was going to say. When can, can I be on Lord Balloon again? I love Lord Balloon. And I appreciate that, and I, and I really I to keep on it. We talked we about a lot of No, uh, nah, but I liked it. So there you go. Uh, That's uh, most of uh, my conversation with Mike North. Like I said, I got a little timey-wimey there at the end. Uh, So I hope uh, you uh, made it and uh, enjoyed my conversation. I'll have him back. You know, uh, I think the history of sports radio, I think, is really interesting. And like I said, I really feel like um, a lot of where social media uh, went and has gone has taken its cues from the cultures that have been built up in radio and you know everyone's got their kind of favorite uh, radio station and if you're lucky enough it wasn't just a morning show it really was a station where you really appreciated the whole programming for more than uh, 24 hours there were a few stations like that in chicago and my station the score certainly became one of those destinations so there's a lot more interesting stories that i intend to explore in uh, future conversations not just with mike but with some of the the other hosts and uh people that were involved with the score, because I really do think that's interesting. I also have a couple other podcast projects that are uh, uh, non-comic related, but I think if uh, you enjoy what you hear on Word Balloon, you might be interested in the stuff we talk about. And uh, once that stuff is up up and running, I will let you know. Be sure to check out Mike's podcast, Sticks and Stones. It's uh, over at the Podcast Arena. You can subscribe via iTunes and the usual podcast platforms. But if you want to hear it streaming, it's podcastarena.com. Slash Mike North, so uh, in the meantime, thanks again for listening. Uh, word balloon today was brought to you by uh, in Stock Trades at instocktrades dot com and uh, there are amazing deals happening now at instock trades on uh, very cool books. Uh, there are things like uh, the uh, Punisher Max Complete Collection. Uh, there are a lot of uh, great writers that are involved in uh, this omnibus and it has a beautiful Dave Johnson cover. It's five hundred and four pages. Uh, it's forty two percent off, just twenty three dollars and nineteen cents. You can get uh, Batman Brave and Bold, the Bronze Age Omnibus, uh, featuring great work from Bob Haney and Jim Aparo. Uh, these are some of the crazy Bob Haney stories that uh, made the Bronze Age uh, Brave and Bold a lot of fun. And uh, I'm one of that uh, part of that audience that enjoyed this run. This collects uh, Brave and Bold eighty seven to one twenty two. It's 50% off, just $62.50. You can get the Invincible Iron Man epic collection uh, featuring uh, a lot of great writers uh, and great artists as well. This is a good healthy dose of uh, Gene Colan's run and Stan Lee writing. Uh, Let's see, it is uh, 50% off, it's just $19.99. There's Green Lanterns, uh, DC Universe Rebirth, uh, Rage Planet, from uh, Volume 1, Sam Humphreys and Ethan Skyver, among others. Uh, Robson Rocha is, uh, is also the artist on this. It's uh, 50% off. It's featuring the new uh, Simon Boz and Jessica Cruz Green Lanterns and their quest. 50% off, $8.49 from InStockTrades.com. Check out all the great deals that are happening now. Don't forget, if your orders are $50 or more, you receive free shipping from our friends at InStockTrades. Com. Thanks again for listening to Word Balloon, another great episode coming to your way this week, and uh, I will talk to you soon. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2017.